0: And in that series, we celebrated because we weren't just looking back at the event that Jesus came, but we were being encouraged and, and challenging ourselves with the remembrance or the reminder that Jesus is coming again and that he is going to return and he's going to come back for us. And, and so over that in that series, we built a doctrine, just a really basic doctrine. Doctrine. It doesn't answer all the questions about his second coming. It doesn't give us everything that we might like to know about when he will return or how he's going to return. It just, it's just a very basic doctrine. Before we start today, I want to just remind ourselves of that. And that doctrine is that it just simply states Jesus loves us and is coming for us. Live ready. There is no greater prize. Jesus promised that He would go away and then He would return, that He was going to prepare a place for us, that He was going to to go and do do something to, to make us ready, to make it ready for us. And, and in that, we recognize that that's the cross, and we've sung about that. That's His resurrection, His death, burial, and resurrection. He went and He prepared a way that we might know life. Without Him doing that work, there is no hope. But he said that when the time was right that he would come again, that he would come back to us and take us unto himself. He told us that to comfort us, to, to give us a sense of, of encouragement and courage. The life is difficult. sometimes it just downright is, it, it just downright sucks. I mean it's, it's not, not, not any fun living it, but, but he says that not, don't, don't lose heart, don't let your heart be troubled. He encouraged us with this truth, but then he, he also warned us as he taught about his return. He, he taught us to be ready, to, to always be, be ready, to be ready in a moment's notice. To be ready that if it happens, before I'm done speaking, before this service is out, be ready that he might come and take you to be with him. Be ready for it. But as he taught us to be ready, he also taught us to be ready in the event that he tarries. To be ready to leave a legacy behind us. To to not only prepare ourselves, but to leave a legacy behind us that that others will be ready. That others will know the truth that that He has provided forgiveness, that He has provided salvation, that He is coming again. Be ready. And He did that. He taught us that because He wanted us to see that there is no greater prize. There's no greater prize that you and I could win in this life than eternal life with Him. In fact, to, to... to be honest, I guess, to be completely frank, there is no other prize. This really is the only prize. Everything else is set up as a prize. It looks glamorous. It looks exciting. It looks worthwhile, but there really is no other prize. This is it. You either have life and you gain the prize or you're left wanting. You see, this, he needed us to know. He wanted us to know this because he loved us so. The Father loved us enough to send His Son, and the Son loved us enough to come and pour Himself out, humble Himself, take on a new nature, and humble Himself to death, even death on a cross. You see, He did that. And so we can count on it now. We can, we can be certain of it that he didn't just start his work, but he's going to finish his work. And, and, and yes, the work of redemption is done, but the work will be done when he comes and gets us. There's more for him to do, and that's to return. And we look forward to that. We sing it is finished. There is not a thing we can add to redemption. There is not a thing we can add to salvation. There is not a thing we can do to be forgiven. You are forgiven by his power in his might but he's not done yet. You see, you have something great to look forward to. He is coming. His kingdom is coming. His rule across the earth, his reign without competition or opposition is coming. A time when all pain and and death is gone, when tears are no more, and, and, and when we get to see him face to face. I mean, you could literally, there will be a day when you will literally be able to take hold of his hand and walk with him. Imagine that day. One who has loved you perfectly. You get to walk into the throne room. Not because you deserved to be there, but because he made a way for you to be there. You sit at his feet, hear him speak. And when he stands to walk through the new Jerusalem, you get to walk with him. Wow, it's beautiful. You see, that's what we have to look forward to. And, and we built this doctrine out. Don't, don't, don't hear me that we built this doctrine out just to have it floating around in our minds and, and feeling good about ourselves. I mean, I want you to be encouraged. I long for you to be encouraged. That's why, partly why Jesus told us about it, to encourage us. But if that's all we do with it, then I think we've not fully hit the mark. We've not fully been prepared. You see, here's what I think we're in danger of oftentimes. I I think oftentimes we're in danger of building out these doctrines and gaining this understanding and then really doing nothing with it. Our theology must lead to doxology. That means our perspectives of God, our understanding of God, our, our beliefs about God must lead to worship of God. If they don't, then it's not really good. You see, we come to this place, this, this point where I don't think we can leave this series until we answer some more questions. Because we have this understanding now, we've 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 gained this insight. Jesus is coming as a result of His love for us. He is coming. We can be ready for it. We have gained the greatest prize. There is nothing that can compete. But what do we do until He shows up? I mean, do we just go about life and just do our own thing? It, are we just supposed to get up and work a 40-hour-a-week a job and, and, and make sure that you get to church on Sunday and maybe a, a Bible study in the middle of the week? I mean, is that is that really what this life was meant to be? And as the troubles come, just push on through. And Is that what he wants for his people? Is that what he longs for us? See, I, I think the idea is, is that If if we gather this information and then don't turn around and, and act on it and do something with it, I think we've wasted our Advent. Because if we got to Christmas and we celebrated the fact that He has come and is coming, and then don't celebrate today that he has come and is coming and don't celebrate tomorrow that he has come and is coming and don't celebrate the day after that and the week after that and the month after that all the way up to the next time we celebrate advent and haven't just lived our lives in this celebration of his coming and coming again then i think we've missed it so today Today and next week, actually, as as we think about where we're headed in this year to come, it's a great time to think about what we're going to do and who we're going to be and and what we're going to strive to see done as we look towards the new year. I just want to spend some time thinking about what are we to do? Until Jesus comes back, what what should we be doing? What should we be about? How should we celebrate? So, today we're going to talk about our kingdom proclamation. We're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 1. Let's we'll start reading verse 6. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and flip there. The book of Acts is, an, is, is a great book. It's, it's the second of a two part series written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a doctor, and, and he uh, was a, a historian. And, and really, as people have studied his work, they've, they've noted that he, is, he was the historian of the highest degree. Like, he was an excellent historian. And he wrote this book to a guy named, dedicated it or wrote it to a guy named Theophilus. There's a lot of discussion around who this guy is. We don't have a clue. But but he wrote these books. And in in his first book, The the Gospel of Luke, it's his gospel account. It's the account of Jesus' life, his work, his teaching, his ministry. And then you come to Acts. Acts is a place where we begin to see a transition and where, where Jesus ascends and hands off the work to his church empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you see this transition happen. In fact, the passage we're going to read is really at that point where the transition begins to happen. This, this transition from Jesus to a Holy Spirit-empowered church. So let's just read it, and then we'll build some principles out for it for how we are now to, to live in light of His return. So when they'd come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus had been tried. He'd been crucified and and had been risen. And in that time from the resurrection to this point, he had met with his disciples, the apostles, the 11 that remained. He had met with them over a period of 40 days. And in fact, the scripture teaches us, if we were to read the first part of this, this book of Acts, that scripture teaches us that he had met with them and taught them about the kingdom of heaven. They had like a 40-day a intensive class about the kingdom of heaven. And they weren't meeting with a, a just any old teacher. They were meeting with the source. They were meeting with the one who knew all about the kingdom of heaven. And he met with them and he gave them this teaching and, and they learned about the kingdom of heaven. So as we come to this passage, we shouldn't be really surprised that they come to him excited on this day, is today the day? Is today the day? Are you going to restore the kingdom today? I mean, think, think of it. if 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 you if you had sat under Jesus's teaching. I mean, I know you appreciate me. I know you love my teaching, but I'm not Jesus. I get that. I'm okay with, with with that. But just imagine if if it was Jesus having taught you over the last several weeks, just how much more you would understand and just how how much clearer He could have been. I mean, He's God after all, right? I mean, just think of it. So so don't be surprised if they come asking us, today, the day, we're we're so ready. We've been hearing about this for 40 days. We're so ready. I I don't think we should be surprised by it. As Calvin commented on this passage, as John Calvin commented on it, he says this, there are as many errors in this question as words. Now, they obviously had missed some things and misunderstood some things, in the teaching. But really, we're only able to tell that because <laughs> we have history to show it. Right? It's really easy for us now to sit here 2,000 years later and look back across the biblical perspective and say, well, yeah, they kind of missed that. They, they misunderstood that. It's, it's easy for us to do that. So I don't think we should get down on them because they're coming to this place and they're asking this question. I, I think they're I think they're like the kids in the back of a car who are excited about getting to where they're going. Are we there yet? And a few minutes later, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And in fact, I'd probably be more surprised if in this forty days, this is the first time they've asked the question. are are we there yet? See, they had certainly misunderstood some things and they had had misperceived some things and and they didn't completely get all that Jesus was telling them. They didn't have complete and full understanding yet. They're like that kid in the back of the car who's just excited about where he's going or she's going. I want to get to Disneyland. I'm ready for Disneyland. It sounds so amazing. Roller coasters and candy. Princesses and princes and I don't don't know what else. I've never been to Disneyland. Might need to go. (laughs) Sorry that threw me off. (laughs) Gotta quit thinking about Disneyland. (laughs) It's no comparison, okay? It's no comparison. Here they are. They're excited about where they're going. They're excited about getting to the to the end. This is the time. This is it. We're ready. And they like that. They like that kid. They're not fully understanding and appreciating that the journey that they've got to go on, the journey that they've got to get there by, is really part of God's plan too. They didn't completely understand that God was still going to continue to do some work in them and continue to do some work through them. And just imagine if they had gotten what they'd wanted, you and I would have missed out on an opportunity to be with a good and glorious God forever and ever. Oh, sure, we would have been able to say, well, we didn't experience the junk that went with this life. But, but let, me, let, let me tell you, brothers, the Scripture says that they will be nothing in comparison to the glories that we will experience forever. You see, this, this, this shouldn't surprise us. And in his answer, Jesus, I think Jesus gave them a gentle rebuke. I think He gave them a correction. I think He certainly redirected them. But I don't think he was surprised either. I mean, We can't even be hard on them because we all need this kind of redirection from time to time. That's not the only redirection they received that day, though. It's not the only time that they had to have their perspectives turned. It's not the only thing that happened in that moment, in that time, on top of that mountain, on on top of the Mount of Olives. As Jesus is ascending, they are blown away. Have you ever seen a guy enveloped by clouds and then start to lift off the ground and disappear before your sight? You ever seen that? I've never seen that. I really had it. I was tempted to bring out a smoke machine and start blowing some clouds up around my feet and seeing if it would surprise you. That would have been pretty cool, wouldn't it? But I couldn't have got off the ground. I could have jumped, but you know what would have happened? I'd have landed right back here and I'd have looked foolish. Jesus continued to go. He continued to ascend. It says that he went out of sight. And they're just standing there looking into the sky. I mean, I think they're probably just astonished. And it's like, whoa. Okay, when's he coming? When's he coming? He's gone to do something. He's coming back. He said he's coming back. And behold, it says, behold, two men standing there beside him in white robes. And and I think uh, that signifies that these are angels in in human form. They they appear as as men standing there beside them. Hey, why are you looking into the sky? What are you you staring into the sky for? Jesus, he's going to come back. He's coming again. He'll come just like he left. He'll he'll come. And so they were able to return to Jerusalem. See, I think in this passage, we we begin to see kind of what's expected of God's people as, as they're waiting. What he expects them to be about doing while they're waiting. First, I think it's really plain, really clear that we shouldn't be about setting times and dates and trying to figure out all the uh, dot all the eyes and cross all the T's of the end days, and times and seasons. That belongs to God the Father. It's His role to figure out and to set the time and the day. It's His role to know all the specific details that are to come and that the the way they're to happen and the and the way that they're going to be, be, be um, brought to be and, and brought to pass. It's, it's his job to make certain that we come to that moment in history where he has already determined that he is going to send Jesus back. That's his role. That's for the Father to do. It's not, it's not our job to, to set the times and seasons. It's not even our job to have the answers about the times and seasons. And don't mishear me. Don't misunderstand me. I don't think it's bad for us to study the end of days. In his return. I think it's a good thing for us to study. What, what I think is dangerous for us is when we start mapping out timelines. When we start laying out all the specific things that we just know God's going to do this, we haven't been given enough clear teaching about it. And I can I guarantee you, we haven't been given enough clear teaching about it because there's no stance you can take on the end of days without setting yourself against a theologian or a guy who has been studying the scripture from the day he was born that, that you're going to find yourself in disagreement with I love I love reading and studying from John MacArthur I think he's a great expositor one of the greatest of our day even John Piper I, I love John Piper and John Piper says I always read from MacArthur so I love I love his I, I love his ability to exposit the scriptures but he is sold out to a view of the end times that, that he, in, in many ways, looks down on others who don't hold it. I think that's a dangerous thing. I, I, I really appreciate the perspective of the reformers. It was, it was pretty much a covenantal perspective where the church was going to replace the the, um, the, the nation of Israel. And, and then comes along John Darby's about two or three hundred years ago. John Darby comes along and, and with the Mennonite brethren, he kind of reshapes and reforms and develops this whole new, whole new perspective called dispensationalism. And that's not ex- it's not exactly the way it works out, but it's just a summary. He, he kind of develops this idea and perspective of dispensationalism where Israel's going to be a nation in heaven and, and the church is going to be a people in heaven. And so God now essentially has two covenant people. And, and, and I know people who will, who will fight for this to their death and, and others who will fight for covenant reform theology, to, to not to their death, that's a little harsh, but they'll separate, they'll divide over it. They'll, they'll die on that hill. And if you don't agree with them, then you're not as good a Christian. You don't have a clear understanding of the Scripture. Get on the Internet and just begin to look at the different perspectives that are out there. There's tons of them. And they're all mixed up and the further we go away from it, it, it just gets that much more Confusing. There is no way that we can know everything there is to know. I don't think it's bad to study, but I think it's bad to be so tied to one perspective. (laughs) Here's the reality it's not for us to know, that belongs to the Father. He, is, he has set the process in place. He has determined the times and seasons. And are there things we can be looking for? And are there things that we, can, that we can know from the Scripture? Absolutely, and I would encourage you to study them and know them. But where the Scripture is not clear, don't, you, don't, don't, don't get so caught up and tied into it that you're willing to divide the kingdom over it. I think the other thing we can see clearly is that we shouldn't be wasting time sitting and looking into the sky trying to figure out if each and every n- new current event and thing that we don't understand is Jesus returning. Man, we see this all the time. You see people, you, you, you can go downtown and, and see people wearing these billboards that are, that, are, that are basically saying Jesus is coming back and this is why and they're blaming it on things we're seeing in, in popular culture. I don't think it's our role to be so so caught up and so mis- misunderstanding of, of Jesus' return that all we do is sit and look for every little current event and say, Oh, Jesus' is coming. That's the Antichrist. I, I, I. And don't think that doesn't happen. The Pope has been called the Antichrist. Obama has been called the Antichrist. It, it, it happens every day. Jesus is coming back because gay people are here. Don't think it doesn't happen. It happens. It, it, go, go, just, do, just do a search on Google for homosexuality and the end of the world. There's a whole, whole, whole group of people out there that think that this is the end. Jesus has been coming, but His return, His gathering His people unto Himself, that's His role. That belongs to Him. You see, we're called to walk in this in faith. We're, we're called to trust that when he returns, he's not going to overlook us. He's going to gather us unto himself. That's what he promised his disciples. See, not only did, did, did we save ourselves, we're not going to save ourselves in the end. He's going to come and get us and he's going to say, you are mine. You belong to him. His return belongs to him. The father has planned it. The father has set it in place and the son will bring it to pass what's our role i think it tells us in verse eight let's just read it again but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth Now we have to be careful. We we don't want to interpret this so directly and specifically that we apply it perfectly to us. I mean, Jesus is speaking to his disciples about what's going to happen in 10 days and the Holy Spirit is going to be sent. He's going to come down, be poured out on his people. Going to, like tongues, uh, the flames are going to rest on people and they're going to be empowered to do some supernatural and crazy stuff, speaking languages they've never known. Talk to people about the power and beauty and majesty of God, and and, and people are going to hear and understand in in their own language. They're going to heal people. They're going to know things and understand things. They're going to have a word from God. They're going to be able to prophesy in ways that that we are only uh, sometimes only able to dream about. So there was a specific fulfillment that Jesus was thinking about. You're going to receive power, and you're going to be my witnesses. He's talking about Pentecost morning. But I think we'd be foolish not to realize that there's a principle here for us. Something that still applies to God's people today. In God's kingdom, if you are in God's kingdom, we are all recipients and witnesses to his power. See, and I guess really, when you get to the heart of what, we're here to talk about if you walk away with nothing else today, I hope you'll hear this. Now granted, I I haven't stood before thousands of people and and preached and seen 3,000 come to believe. I have never spoken in a language I don't know. I've never walked and when my shadow landed on someone's handkerchief, they were able to take that handkerchief and wipe it on a sick person and that person be healed. I, I never have been able to to walk up to a person and put my hand on them and, and, and pray over them. I, I've never walked up to somebody who couldn't walk and say, hey, here's the gift I have for you, get up and walk. I, I've never been able to do that. The apostles were able to do that. And they weren't the only ones doing it. This is a pretty normal thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm even saying that's weird. It's not normal. It was supernatural, but it was, it was prevalent. But not everybody was doing it. Not everyone in the, in, the, in the early church was walking around and doing those things. Not everyone was gifted in that way. Did that deny that they had received the power of God? You know, I've seen and experienced this power in, in a number of ways. On the top of a mountain in China, I've, I experienced God's power. I, I was so blown away. I mean, we, we had walked. I had climbed the side of this mountain, and I'm, I'm, I was in better shape than I just say, but it was horrible. It was like climbing stairs for three or four thousand feet, and there was this huge village on top of it that, that we knew we could distribute our Bibles in and we could pass out these gospel, uh, gospel, uh, packs in. We could de- deliver them there and they're so remote that the authorities, that the church would have time to begin to thrive before the authorities could come in and begin to persecute them. Man, I was wore out. I was the one holding the team back. We were supposed to get to the top of that mountain and distribute it in that village before the sun went down. And, and because of me, I'm just going to tell you, I was the last one. I was struggling. I was stopping. By the time we got to the top, I was stopping about every 15 or 20 yards. My legs were clank, cramping. My, man, I was getting knots in my quads to the point where they were trying to pull my leg up. It was horrendous. And I'm the whole, not the whole way, but about halfway up. I'm like, God, what what was I thinking? I think I misread this. I don't think I'm supposed to be here. Would you just kill me now? <laughs> Take me home. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I was hurt. <laughs> it was bad. Got to the top and we took a break. The sun had begun to go down, and so we weren't going to distribute it in the village because we were afraid that every everybody has dogs there, and I, I think they, they're food, so it doesn't surprise me. But we didn't want to get eaten by dogs before they got ate by the people, right? So we just thought, we'll wait tomorrow morning. And so we, we thought, well, we need to find a place to, to sleep tonight. Well, there wasn't any open ground that we found as we're walking across this ridge line, the only open ground we found had little rice paddies in it. So, uh, you know, just as small as this podium that I'm standing on, there's there's a rice paddy in it. And so we we were like, well, where are we going to sleep? Because one side of the trail falls off the side of the mountain, the other side there's a rice paddy. Every flat spot we came to, until we walked into this field. I don't I don't know what else to call a clearing on top of this mountain. And it looked like, I mean, I'm serious, there the, it just opened up and there was just this short grass. It looked like somebody had just trimmed it. And somebody says something about green pastures. And somebody then, you know, as we walk into it a little further, we're, we're in need of water. And we walk, as, as we step into it, it's dark by this point And we can't see more than about 15 feet in front of us as we kind of get into the clearing. And we're talking about these green pastures and how God has provided this great place for us to sleep on top of this mountain. We walk into it, and we see a, a pond sitting right on top of the mountain. Every one of us were out of water. There wasn't an ounce of water in any of our camelbacks at that point. We were, didn't know what we were going to do the next day uh, as we knew we were going to start out. There's this pond in the middle of this clearing. So then somebody says something about still waters, and, and pretty soon we're worshiping on top of this mountain, reading Psalm 23. This glorious moment. The power was so... Prevalent, and so then after we've sung and we've read the scripture together, and it's time to eat, and none of us had any way to start a fire. They didn't have anything to burn, and I'm going to tell you everything was green. It was lush. We were there. The monsoon season had just finished. Everything was everything was so bright and green, and, and all we just wanted a dead limb to burn, you know. And we're like, well, where are we going to get that? And so I mentioned as as we're stumbling around in the dark in this in this clearing on this mountaintop. We're we're looking for for branches off on the side. And and I I just shouted out. I was like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we find firewood just sitting here waiting for us. And I'm not kidding you. As soon as the words were out of my mouth, one of the other team members says, what did you just say? And I said it again. And he said, you're not going to believe this. I'm not kidding you. There was a stack of firewood on the other side of the clearing." Almost like they were just waiting for us to stay there. I couldn't believe it. We were blown away. I come to find out, for whatever reason, that there was people in that village that stored their firewood over a mile away from their huts and their houses. It's almost like God knew we were coming. Wait, He knew we were going to be there. And he knew we were going to be in need. He knew we were going to be tired. He knew that we were going to be weary. He knew that the day had gone long. He knew that we were going to be surrounded by death. Because in China, that's what mostly is going on. Oh, There's a revival happening, but those people are dying and experiencing an eternity without him. He knew that we were going to be in that valley and he knew how desperately we were going to need him. And he provided by his power, he provided. And I love that story. <laughs> As you can see, I'm moved by that story. But I'm not the only one in this room that has experienced his power. And even though even though maybe you don't have a story like that, Maybe maybe you don't have a, a story that moves you to tears. Maybe maybe the reason that, that the, the, maybe the, that you don't have this moment where you're in some foreign country surrounded by death that, that, that you can just talk about what God has done in this amazing, amazing and miraculous way, and you just can't think, oh well, what? But let me tell you, you have that story. If you are a member of the kingdom of God, you have that story if you can believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, you have that story, you are alive because of His power. You have hope because of His power. You are able to look forward because of His power. Jesus taught it in John 3. He said that that you were going to have to be born again to have this life. And, and, and this isn't a physical birth. This is a, a spiritual birth, one that you're completely incapable of doing yourself. He, he taught and, and, and he told John or Nicodemus that, that this was going to have to happen. And it's a work of the Spirit. It's God's word to make it occur. Paul talked about it as, the, as the, when we are saved that we become new creations, but, but creations aren't able to create themselves. It demands a creator. You have been created new his image is being restored in you you you're able to know more and experience more of his power today because of a moment some point in in your history where he showed you the truth and, and you were brought to life and now he's he's sanctifying you he's making you more like him this is your story You don't need a story of some depraved moment that He saved you out of. You don't need some story of some mountaintop experience in China. If you are alive, you are a recipient and a witness of God's power. You are the proof of His power. See, that's what sets us apart. It's not about what we deserved or who we are or what we've done. We are recipients of the power of God. That's what Paul was getting across when he wrote in in the letter to the Ephesians. When when he talked, to I wasn't going to do this. I'm going to do it. I've already cried on you and thrown everything else off. I'm going to go ahead and take just a moment. Let me just read this to you. When he talks about that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing. Every one of them, not just some of them, every one of them He has blessed you with. For He has, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him, in love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved. You are blessed! You are recipients of power. You, not not somebody else, not somebody more worthy, not somebody that's done something to deserve it. You. You are a recipient of His power, and that's why He comes to this prayer at the at the close of chapter one, and He's like, "I am so thankful for you, as I've come to hear about your faith. I'm so thankful for you that I, I want you to know the the the." The, the, the hope that you have to look forward to, and I want you to know the, the power. Let me just read it for you. He says, <clears throat> "I'm sorry, I'm getting all excited. I'm throwing myself off." What is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe? The immeasurable greatness—you can't measure it. You can't put a tape measure on it. You can't—you can't figure out how far it is or how how deep it goes. It's immeasurable. That's the power he worked on your behalf, the very power that he raised Christ from the dead with. He has raised you and seated you by his son. You and I are citizens of his kingdom by his power. Do you feel like that? I'm going to be honest, some days I don't feel like that. Some days i don't feel like I got any power. see, I, I think maybe the maybe my greatest fear for any church, but especially for our church, is that we would try to live lives that are based on our own power. We'd think we'd have something better to offer or some better plan to pursue. We, we have to remember this. We are the recipients of his power. And, and we're set apart because no longer, no longer are we a people that just has to sit and talk about something we don't understand. We, as people who have experienced it, we get to be witnesses of it. You see, I think I think the danger is is that oftentimes we're not we're not looking at His power for the reasons He gave us His power. We're making the power we've received about ourselves. I think we're in danger of of, of making His power about our plans, about building our kingdom instead of His. A kingdom in which we have the comforts of this world and and we feel safe and secure because of, of a place where we have the financial wealth uh, that, that that makes us feel safe about our future, a, a kingdom where people like you, without reservation, a kingdom where you are just where, where you are approved of and patted on the back and and made to feel special. See that that makes his power about us. But I don't think that's why he gave his power to us. See, I don't think he gave his power to us to simply fix our woes, to, to come into our life and, and totally just uh, remove the difficulties of life. And I don't think that he gave us his power so that we could just have a life of ease. In, in fact, I, I think it's in the midst of the difficulty that we really find how great his power is. I mean, Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians. He, he's talking about this thorn in the flesh that he's gotten. Nobody really knows what the thorn in the flesh is. It, it, some people think it's a physical ailment, some people think it's a constant, uh, consistent temptation towards sin. Nobody knows. And it's okay you don't need to know because it's easy, you're, I think it's easier for us to kind of apply to ourselves at this point because you've got thorns in your flesh too. To keep you from being proud and and get too big ahead about yourself. You're put in places. God allows or causes things in your life to put you in a place where you must depend upon him. And Paul, his his testimony, I think, applies to us directly. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that that, that it should leave me. In 2 Corinthians 12, he's like, "I, I pleaded with God that it should leave me, that it would be taken from me, that I wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. But he said to me, and this is God's words, He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power, you hear that? My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul, his response, "I, I, I don't know of a better one. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. see, we think that God gave us power to go and fix everything about the world. And we can provide a little bit of relief. We certainly should be trying. But he didn't give us his power that we could be the world's saviors, that we could be our own saviors and independent of him. He gave us his power. He says that he gave his people power, that they might be his witnesses. That they might be one who can proclaim with experience about him. So that they could speak with not just knowledge from a book, but real life, tangible experience. You see, I, I think our danger is that sometimes we try to make God's power about exalting us and, 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 and making it just about us, but, but God's power is always about Him. God's power is, is that we, uh, He is given to us that we might know Him ourselves and bear witness to Him for others. I mean, you go back to this passage, if, if it had just been these 11 guys and God had never given them power, if the Holy Spirit had never come down and it's just these 11 guys. What could 11 guys do? Are they going to change the world? Are they going to set the world on end? Are they going to, are they going to undo Rome? Are they going to be, be, be able to bring in a kingdom? Are they going to set this, this revolution afoot? Are they going to set it on, on pace? Probably not. They needed God's power so that they could be God's witnesses. And and, and their witness was was as much about and more about proclamation than simply just going out and doing great works. Certainly, it was accompanied by the great works. But a witness isn't about a person who goes out and does good deeds, but about about a person who goes out and proclaims truth and points people to the source of power. we, brothers and sisters as recipients of the power of God, we are not relegated to some minor role in the kingdom. We get to be his witness. We get to proclaim his power. We get to speak of his provision. We get to be a people who who point people to him. And that's why he gave it to us, to save us so that we might know him and so that we might point others to him. Just let me say this in closing. I have a whole list of things that I want to share with you, and we're to the end of our time. But as we look into this new year and this new season, we think about, who we are as a church, who you are as a Christian. Maybe you go to church someplace else. (laughs) Let me encourage you to spend some time just considering the power that you've been given in Christ. Let it rest on you. You are not some weak, some powerless, some afterthought. You're a child who has been made a steward of the greatest power of all time. And he's given it to you for a purpose. You may not have all the answers. You may not know all of the all of the ins and outs of each and every dot and tittle of. Doctrine. You may not be the smartest in the the scriptures. You may not have the the most powerful of experiences. But as one who has been called a child of God, you have a story of power. Just share that story. Just tell people of this God who saved you. Remind people, remind your brothers and sisters, think how desperately we need this from one another. Remind your brothers and sisters in the faith of the power that has been worked out on their behalf, that has been directed towards them. Remind them of this great God who saved them and who has their best in mind. Remind one another of his power that's been worked out for you. And everywhere you go, whether it's in Springfield or whether it's in Missouri or, or the United States or someplace across the ocean, that story needs to be told. His power needs to be proclaimed. God sent His Son who died and then rose and then saved you from death and made you alive. That story should be pouring out from us, should move us. We are his witnesses because he has shed his power upon us because he has put his power within us. Let's pray.